The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I want to share with you today some thoughts from a, a pastor, G.D. Watson. He was born in 1845, and he goes deep. He goes deep into the real heart of God. In this broadcast today, I want you to let go of everything of the outside world and I want you to allow yourself to be drawn right into the heart of God Lord Jesus I ask that as I present some of Pastor Watson's thoughts as I share your word I ask that you would open the doors of heaven and bring my brothers and sisters into your heart where there is conviction and repentance and turning and becoming real once more in the gospel of Jesus. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. In Second Kings chapter 4, we find a story of Elisha where he multiplies the oil for the widow in order to deliver her from debt. Now, to be in debt is to be in bondage. It was never God's purpose, as applied either to money or to the spirit of obedience in the Christian walk. Debt is the rod of Satan with which he scourges the children of God. Debt, dirt, and the devil belong together. The poor widow mentioned in this passage has been left by her husband with an old debt against the family. And although her husband was a preacher, one of the sons of the prophets, yet in his poverty he'd gone into debt to a rich, hard-hearted neighbor. And perhaps it had been increased by interest. But now a crisis was reached. It wrung a pitiful cry from the heart of the widow and the mother. In those days when the Holy Spirit had not been given as the universal comforter, the prophet Elisha stood in many instances to fill the office of the Holy Spirit to God's people. And so this woman cried out to Elisha 
as he was the special mouthpiece of God's will to the people. Here's a picture of multitudes of the Lord's people today. They say they're servants of God, but by being in debt, they have hampered themselves financially and spiritually, for debt wears heavily on the mind of an honest person who intends to pay that debt. It saddens the heart, it destroys cheerfulness, it weakens courage, it brings a certain sense of degradation, and as Scripture says, the borrower is servant to the lender. George Mueller tells us that if we are in debt, we should humbly repent of it the same as we would of any other sin, and promise the Lord that we will never again go into debt that we are to keep the scripture commanding us to owe no man anything but to love one another. This is the way to please God. But the debt of this poor widow has a broader spiritual application. There are many who are the servants of God who are yet in legal bondage and are not yet paying the debt of perfect love to God, which we owe to him The first of all laws is that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. This is the return which will satisfy Jesus for his infinite goodness to us. It does not pay him for his infinite price, but is what he asks of us. Now, as long as Christians fail of loving God with all of their heart, though he may serve God in a measure, he is constantly running in debt to his heavenly Father, not a debt of sentiment, but really and scripturally, he is, according to God's law, failing to pay what the boundless love of God has required. Now, the demand of the creditor, she was saying the creditor has come to take my two sons to be bondmen. Perhaps he was hard-hearted and an exacting creditor, but he had the civil law on his side, which became the very instrument of torture to this mother's heart. For how could she bear to have her two sons torn from her side and bound out for service? as slaves but our hearts our hearts have not ached at seeing similar suffering on many who walk with Jesus there is an application to the demands of the divine law upon our soul this creator is a good type of or this creditor is a good type of the law of God which demands the full payment of perfect love. Now, let's remember that the law in its letter knows no mercy or deviation. And although Paul says it is holy, just, and good, and has an office to fill of exact righteousness and is essential in God's economy, yet it is not the minister of grace. That is reserved for the personal Christ himself. For the law came by Moses, but grace came by Jesus Christ. When a servant of God fails to pay the debt of loving God with all of his heart, the law is not thereby repealed, and will soon manifest its exacting nature by putting the spiritual debtor into legal bondage. Now, let me explain what I'm talking about, and you'll quickly see the point. God's law is not a myth. It is not a changeable option, but a real divine spiritual force, and is applied to the soul by the judicial office of the Holy Spirit in our conscience, just as really as grace is applied by the Comforter's office of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's never forget, as a great many persons have done, 
that the Holy Spirit administers the law of Mount Sinai to the conscience just as literally as he administers the atonement to the heart of the obedient believer. This explains that vast world of religious life and experience known as legal bondage. A soul in the early joys of being made righteous does not feel any bondage of service. But if it fails to go on to the perfection of love, the law will soon put its claim for perfect love on that subject. The law will seize on that soul and make a bondman out of him, just as a creditor in this passage was going to do with the widow's sons. When this bondage is enacted in a Christian, his whole life becomes one of restraint and constraint. And just like the Jews in the wilderness who were not permitted to go back to Egypt on the one hand and not able to go up into Cana on the other, but were constantly subjected to marching and going about making little progress, his very religion grows tiresome until he longs for death more than he thirsts for the fullness and sweetness of the living God. Such a person feels it must serve the Lord, and yet there is a bondage in his prayers. There is a bondage in his giving. He may give a tenth of his income to the Lord, but he's in bondage. He's in bondage in testimony of the work of Christ in his heart. The creditor of the law has already seized upon the inner delicate fountains of the soul and its grasp will never be relinquished until such a one yields himself up to unlimited consecration and a loving God just as the law requires. Many thousands of you are in this condition. See, when Elisha asked this widow if she had any resources, whatever, by which to pay the debt, she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Little did she dream that her little pot of oil could be attached to divine power and turned into a fountain of wealth. Little did Moses dream that the shepherd's rod in his hand could be made the vehicle of scourging Egypt and setting free the people of God. Little did Dorcas imagine that her sewing needle would become the instrument of showing forth her her love and charity to all generations. How the dealings of God forever soar above all the conjectures of man, and his marvelous province walks through the heavens and uses this seemingly trifling thing as a stepping stone to life. Here we have an insight into God's government, how he is constantly joining the supernatural upon the natural, taking the little things, the weak things of the creature, and welding them into his grace. Nothing is more wonderful than the way God unites himself to created beings and things. He did not ignore the little pot of oil, but instead made it into an exhaustless supply. God honors little things that man despises because he is God and he cannot despise anything in the universe except sin. And so a pot of oil or sewing needle will be taken into a service just as a planet or a solar system. God does not bless nothing. There may be something as there must be something as the basis for his blessing. This pot of oil, like the few loaves and fishes, would not of itself supply the demand. It was a, a fraction of a supply, but instead of casting it aside as man would do, Jesus saw it as something that he could take a hold of and produce an abundance. This is the key to how God operates.
Now, this pot of oil is the counterpart of something in every human being which is utterly, if utterly yielded to God's disposal, will be made the channel of endless wealth and blessing. It matters not how poor and fallen and helpless and utterly undone any poor person may be. There is always some gift in one's life or being, some capacity of heart or mind or will or voice or hand. There is some unknown capacity of faith or labor, which if in humility and obedience is put into the hand of God, he will gladly turn into a river of blessing beyond all that any poor helpless soul could ask or think. God is able and willing to pull us through the greatest challenges if there be only something in us that he can take a hold of which will bear the strain of the divine pull. There are always great numbers of professed Christians who seem to desire that the Lord should use them, and they look with surprise and amazement at the work of some other Christian and the extent to which the Lord will use them, and heave aside that they can't be of more service. They're always waiting for some great gift, some great opportunity, more money, more definite leading, more flattering by people, never dreaming that at the very hour there is some little thing within their reach, some humble gift, some special adaptation in their makeup, some some little pot of oil hid away of which they take no account, which if utterly yielded in prayer to the Lord would be made an instrument of their everlasting fortune. Humble souls all around them with less money, less talent, less social position, less physical or mental endowment are laying up treasures in heaven beyond all calculation. The fact is, too many gifts are often a hindrance by hindering the spirit of utter self-despair and utter dependence on God alone. It is not the measure of what we have that tells the most, but the measure in which our littleness is given up to the Lord and led out into his purpose and into the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord shows his glory by accomplishing amazing results with little things. And on the other hand, Satan shows his wretched destructiveness by taking the greatest thing and reducing it to utter ruin. So as soon as Elisha found something in the poor widow's possession which could be utilized for her relief, the next thing was to provide room for the Lord to work. His miracle. God works for a miracle, and he works very fast and very lavishly when the time has come and all the conditions are met. This command of the prophet was a tax upon the widow's faith, for the step was especially the step of faith, as she'd never heard of a pot of oil being multiplied. The command to borrow empty vessels in abundance before ever seeing the means of filling them required of her to act just as she had, as if she had Elisha's faith, and to trust and obey a naked promise without feelings, before seeing any miracle. In like manner, when the Lord can find something in us that he can use, if it is utterly yielded to his will, the next step is for us to bring empty vessels, to make room for the inflow of the abundance of life and light. We also must pass this line of simple faith without feeling without any kind of evidence except the inspired promise of God and go out on lines of obedience like Abraham knowing 
not where God might lead him. I want to stop a minute. We've been talking to you about RevivalNow.Church. I want you to know we have stepped out into RevivalNow.Church without any resources, without any money. We've stepped out with any miracle or any sign that God is going to meet us and start a revival. But we've spoken with the dear pastor at the All Saints Church, Pastor Dan Morgan. We've talked with him, and his heart was quickened, and he said, I want a Holy Spirit revival at All Saints Church. So why don't you meet here? Well, we said with bated breath and hesitancy, can we meet in your main sanctuary? Well, yes, I don't see why you can't. Wait a minute, we don't have anybody to meet. We have no resources in our hands. So are we going to meet in the main sanctuary of the All Saints Church and have nobody come with all these empty seats? How's that going to work? We contacted Weva and got a price for radio advertising. It was only for a day. It was some $400 to air a a, a 10-second ad for 15 times. But we had no money to buy ads. We had no money to, to do anything. And yet this last... Monday night, the first night of Revival Now, I don't know how many people were there. Maybe as many as 60 people came. Where did they come from? Well, God brought them. There was an announcement made at All Saints Church that Holy Spirit Revival meeting will be on Monday night, and people came out by the sovereign grace of God. We brought to God everything we had, which was nothing. We obeyed his command to start a revival. Well, how do you start a revival? I don't know. Just obey Jesus. And so we obeyed Jesus. We announced it on the radio broadcast, and not one of you came to the revival meeting. But that was all right, because we don't have any agenda in it except Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't call you, we're not going to call you. Because we're nobody. We have no power. It's either Jesus or nothing. It's Jesus or bust. And we put ourselves out there to be scorned and ridiculed. Oh, so you wanted to start a revival. And you scheduled a meeting and nobody showed. Well, somebody came. And they said to us after the meeting, we've been waiting for somebody to say these things to us about Jesus. Thank you. They asked for prayer. They shed tears. God was in the house. But none of it was because of our skill or our talent or our marketing or our money. We had none of any of that. We just brought our little pot of oil. And God has begun to multiply that. Now, this is not an an announcement or an advertisement, but we're going to do the same thing this Monday evening at 7.30. Will anybody be there? It's in Jesus' hands. Nobody will be there because of me or Alexandra. Because we're nobody. All we are doing is taking the little cruise of oil and handing it to Jesus and saying, it's it's in your hands, Jesus. You see, this is the process that we have to go through 
It will open doors for service. It will bring financial relief. It will be a blessing to others. Well, what is that? We must bring our mind and our heart emptied of all of the old prejudices, all of the old traditional theology, all of human philosophy. We have to bring a mind so utterly humble and empty that Jesus can reveal to it great and bright worlds of truth and beauty and such floods of spiritual understanding that we've never dreamed of. We must bring our hearts to Jesus that are emptied of all earthly attachments and all pious sentimentalism, sentimentalism, old friendships, old daydreams, old fond hopes. We have to bring to Jesus our tormenting fear. We must bring to Jesus all of our churchy and religious sentiment. We must be emptied of anxiety, all of our long-cherished feelings and expectations. In other words, we have to make room for the Holy Spirit to come and do what he wants to do. Believe me, I had a lot of anxiety about taking this step and announcing revival now, dot church. Had a lot of anxiety about that. And I had to go to the prayer closet and pray through until I had no attachment to it. Until if nobody came, I would not be shamed because I have nothing connected to it. I'm not trying to be successful. I'm not trying to be a leader of revival. I'm not trying to be anything but an empty, humble servant of Jesus. So what's going to happen with this revival? <laughs> All I know is I'm making room for Jesus. I'm making room for the Holy Spirit. And as I've been doing that, the Holy Spirit has flooded my heart with love. He's been filling my heart with absolute trust as I have come with empty hands. I have renounced my own work. I've renounced my own planning. I'm not pulling any wires for myself. I don't have any toys in my hand. I have no treasure. I also have no human stipulation. I have no treaty of compromise. But I have come with my hands grasping firmly the sword of the Spirit. He's the one I want. My hand is on the plow. My hand is empty of self. I am emptied for Jesus. Now, we can be empty of everything we recognize as sin, but there are things that are not classified as sin that we must be emptied of there are positive hindrances to the inflowing power of God. Many of you have allowed your religion to get between you and God. The Holy Spirit would love to fill professed Christians with pure love, with the light of divine healing and with bright floods of scriptural knowledge concerning the coming of Jesus and his reign on the earth and the understanding of scripture on kindred themes, but their very church creeds, their old sermons, their stereotyped prayers, their prayer books, their rituals, 
their devotion to what they think is good and holy blinds your eyes and hardens your hearts. And so there is no room in you for the mighty ocean of God's love. And so the love goes rolling past and you are unable to enter. Now oftentimes our prosperity or our friends, our religious work prevents Jesus from making room in our heart for the inflow of divine things. It is the miserably good things that often hinders God from filling us with his best and fullest blessings. Good things may become bad if they prevent us from getting God's best. And even sanctified souls may be so filled with their reason and their rigid theories and their truth, their attachment to church membership, their, their attachment to pious friends and traditional theology, so that they can see nothing of what Jesus wants to say. You see, we understand the scripture to the extent that our minds are emptied of self-opinion and human tradition. Our hearts glow with sweetness and tenderest love in proportion as they are emptied of every secondary affection. See, it takes faith to bring empty vessels. So, Alexandra and I have been with Brother Ed. If you don't know Brother Ed, he's the one who does all of the posting of the broadcasts on the internet. Brother Ed is a a brother and a friend who walks with the two of us close with Jesus. And he spends a great deal of time every day in the prayer closet for this work of God. He is our Father Nash. Now, I don't say that to lift Brother Ed up. I say that to tell you that we have no preconceived notion of what God is going to do with RevivalNow.Church. All we know is that we have become utterly empty vessels. We have nothing of preconceived notion except that we want to call you to leave your sin and be made righteous by the blood of Jesus and we don't want your love and your affection to pour out for your religious ideas or your rituals or your prayer books. We don't want your love to pour out for the services of the church. We don't want your love to be poured out for anything except the person of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you have placed great limitations on yourself. I can't go there. I can't do this. I can't do that. Are you kidding me? I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. So I don't come with all of my years of theological training. I don't come to this revival with all of my years of psychological therapeutic training and relational theology and, and group process and I don't come with all of my skills in the preaching of the word. I come with empty hands and an open heart and a little cruise of oil. And I've made room to fill many pots with that oil. 
I have a huge sanctuary. I have another brother pastor who walks with me. I have a church vestry that's excited. God is bringing together all the pots and pans we can find. And I'm standing by faith that the oil of the Spirit will flow in great power in revival now. This is the miracle of faith. Did I make certain that we had money for advertising before we said, let's go? No. Did I have extensive marketing? No. Have I done what is necessary in Washington to attract people? No. Do I have strings and brass? Do I have the orchestra? No. What do I have? Just a little cruise of oil. As Alexandra and I have been in the presence of Jesus crying out to him. What do you have, Ray? What do you have, Alexandra? Well, we have an absolute love for you, Jesus. And we don't have anything else. All we have is great love for you, Jesus. We don't have money. We don't have resources. We don't have... We don't have the talent necessary to start a revival although I've never heard of a revival starting with talent. We don't have an ability to turn America away from sin. All we have is a little cruise of oil. And that little cruise of oil is our absolute emptying of everything in our hearts except our love for Jesus. I can tell you today we have absolute love for Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all we've got. So now we're collecting the pots and pans. We've got a, a large pot called a church, All Saints Church. We've got a few people who, who want to sing. Nothing that you would go to the Kennedy Center to listen to. But a few humble people who want to praise Jesus. Well, we're not off to a very auspicious start, are we? Well, we're, we're watching as the oil begins to flow. And it is. If you could see me, I'm sitting in the studio and and Alexandra and I, she's sitting across from me and we're both sitting here laughing at the utter foolishness of what I'm saying in the flesh. But the absolute joy of knowing our trust is in Jesus. And we believe he's going to fill every pot. We believe he's going to flow with power for the salvation of many, turning every man and woman from wickedness and sin and, and coldness of heart, hardness of heart. So Elisha told this widow, after having gathered the empty vessels and brought them into her house, Thou shalt shut the door upon thee and thy sons. That's what he said. They were to be alone with God. For they were not dealing with the laws of nature, and not human government, nor the church, nor the priesthood, nor with the great prophet of God. They had to be isolated from everyone. They could not lean on any circumstance. They could not lean on the traditions of history. There were no props of human reasoning. Instead, they were swung off into the vast blue space, hanging on to God alone 
in touch with the fountain of all miracles. Here is a part of the program of God's dealing, a secret chamber of isolation in prayer and faith which every soul must enter. There are times and places where God will form a mysterious wall around us and cut away all props and all the ordinary ways of doing things and shut us up somewhere in the divine. And then suddenly something new and utterly unexpected begins to happen. God begins to cut the cloth of our lives on a new pattern. He begins to make us look like him. Most religious people, many of you listening to this broadcast, live on sort of a treadmill of life. You can calculate almost everything that's going to happen. But the soul that God's lead out into immediate and special dealing, he shuts in where all they know is that God has a hold of them and is dealing with them, and their expectation is from him alone. Like this widow, we must be detached from outward things and attached inwardly to the Lord, alone in his presence in order to see his wonders. Well, that's right where Alexandra and I are with this revival. We are shut away with the Lord God of heaven. And the prophet said, Thou shalt pour out from the pot of oil into these vessels, and thou shalt set them aside. Up to that point, everything had been dry faith and obedience without signs or miracles or evidence, apart from the simple word of the prophet. People have said to me, were there any miracles at the first revival meeting? I don't know. All I know is that God was there. The people were convicted of their sin. That to me is the first sign of the Holy Spirit coming. Well, is this going to be a great revival, Pastor? I don't know. It's not coming from me. It's coming from Jesus. So this widow took that little pot of oil and she began to pour it into the empty vessels. That's what we're doing at Revival now. We're beginning to pour out a little oil into the vessels that come. God began to multiply that oil. And the miracle took place. And the hand of God was uncovered. The unseen hand of the mighty God was made bare. And she and her sons had all the evidence they needed. This is God's method of working still. He hides himself until our faith and our obedience have touched the point of the condition which he has prescribed, which is the utter emptying out of everything of yourself and allowing your heart to flow out in passionate love for Jesus Christ. This miracle was right at the point where the oil fell from the little pot into the large vessel because the pot never got empty. And when she'd finished pouring it out, it was still as full as it was before of the same oil. But the oil filled these large vessels with fresh, sweet oil, as though it had just been pressed from ripe olives. Remember the feeding of the 5,000 and the bread and the fish? They were multiplied at the point they left the hand of Jesus and were passed into the hands of the disciples. Just as soon as Jesus broke a loaf and gave it to the disciples, it became a whole loaf in their hands and another whole loaf in Jesus' hands. And each half loaf instantly became a whole loaf but not until the loaf was broken. It is in the breaking and giving out of the things that cause the increase. The increase of a grain of corn never begins until it is broken by the sprouting in the moist earth and it builds itself into a stalk and a hundred grains come. The water flowed from the rock at Horeb right from the spot where the rock was smitten 
Paul tells us that the water did not come from within the inner resources of the rock. It flowed out from the living Christ who stood on the rock. For God said, The miracle happens when Jesus is present. When we allow ourselves to be broken and poured out, Jesus begins his work. The same Lord who made the olive tree and caused it to suck up the juices of the earth and transform them into the olive berry with its rich oil now stepped in at a poor widow's emergency and laying aside the olive tree, Jesus himself became the divine olive tree and produced the oil without the intervention of any material olive tree. This is the secret of the way Jesus works today in our souls, in our hearts, in our health. If the widow had not poured out the oil, it would never have multiplied. If we do not pour out our faith, our gifts, our love, our money, our thoughts, our physical strength, and the very substance of our lives for Jesus... And if we do not pour out our complete love for him, the blessed miracle of increase will not happen in our lives. The stream did not stop flowing until the vessels were filled and she stopped pouring and then the olive oil stopped. As long as we keep pouring out, the Holy Spirit will continue to cooperate and bring the increase Do you see? I'm willing to give all that I have. I'm willing to give all of my kindness and love. I'm willing to give all of the passion I have for Jesus. I'm willing to take my own reputation and let it be utterly destroyed. I'm willing to be nothing that Jesus can be everything. All of my favorite theology, all of my favorite ideas, I've had to let go. I can't believe that conversion is gradual. I can't believe that that we're making progress toward heaven. No, it is call the people to leave their sin now and submit to Jesus now. Call for revival now. Revivalnow.church. And so that's what we've done. Without money, without resources, without advertising, without a great music group. Just empty vessels. And we're going on Monday night and we're pouring all of the oil of our love for Jesus out into those empty vessels to watch him multiply it and bring wicked sinners into full conversion to heal the brokenhearted, to restore the sick. (laughs) Well, what assurance do you have, Pastor, that this is going to be successful? only that I trust Jesus. I'm on a trapeze out in the wild blue yonder looking for the next trapeze, and if it doesn't come, I'm going to come crashing down. But I'm not going to come crashing down. I trust Jesus. He is everything for me. I want to come back to you now. Are you willing to give up all of your favorite ideas and all of your prejudice and all of your theologies? Are you willing to have Jesus? 
Are you willing to let Jesus convict you of every sin and leave it now? Are you willing to be converted today? Will you absolutely say, Jesus, I give you everything I have, everything I'll ever have. I give you my heart, my life, my time, my money. I am utterly giving myself to you. I'm repenting of all sin. I'm confessing before you everything my heart has lusted after. And I give to you, Jesus, now, all of my pain and all of my success, all of my failures, all of my successes. I only want you, Jesus. I want the oil of your Holy Spirit to pour into my life. I want the power and the anointing of your presence to touch the lives of other people for the kingdom of God. I want you, Jesus, and I love you with all of my heart. Are you willing to say that? Are you willing to, as I said to one man, come Monday night? He said, oh, pastor, I can't come on Monday night. I said, why? Well, it's too far for me to drive. I'm willing to come and and be a part of a worship service, but pastor, I can't take time during the week to come and, and sit in a meeting. Oh, okay. You just missed the pouring out of the oil of God. You just said that your schedule does not belong to Jesus. You said your schedule is sacrosanct. You have it for yourself. You made it. You keep it. And you're unwilling to pour out your your time and your energy and your money. You, You keep it for yourself. And you're willing to portion a little bit of time to go to church on Sunday and be a consumer and get a blessing and ask for prayers, but don't ask me to pour out my life for Jesus. So you miss the oil of the Holy Spirit. Oh, my brother, my sister, do you love Jesus today? Are you willing to lay it all down for him? You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel, Woodbridge, Virginia. I've been sharing some thoughts today from one of my favorite old-time preachers, George D. Watson, born 1848. If you like this broadcast and consider it important and consider it the oil of God to your heart, Would you support us financially? It is a faith ministry. I don't get a salary. I can't pay for the broadcast. I walk by faith in my personal life, and I walk by faith in this broadcast. Would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And would you also go to the webpage, revivalnow.church. If you're an empty vessel, come and get filled this Monday night. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll find there this message and many others that will help you in the journey. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.